Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, One Life Church. How many of you love Jesus in this room today? If you do, come on, throw your hands together one more time and celebrate his goodness. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so great to have you with us today. I want to take a moment and introduce myself. My name is Rhett. Uh, It is the joy and privilege of my life to get to be the lead pastor here at One Life Church. And I am just so thankful for everybody who is with us today. Hey, before we continue with the service, can we do something we do every Sunday? And that is, can we throw our hands together for all those here at the Nam Pacific Center? Throw your hands together. Welcome those who are joining us online right now. Come on, let them know how much you love them. For those who are joining us online, we love you. Man, you are our family, you're our friends, and we cannot wait to see you soon. Enjoy the campgrounds right now. I know everybody is enjoying the wildfire smoke. Nobody said that ever. I get it. But we're so glad that you are along for the ride, however you're joining us today. Hey, guys, we are continuing our series called The Best Summer Ever. And before we jump into that message, I want to take a moment and remind all of us that we are a message note-taking church. What does that mean? It means we simply like to take notes. It was always my desire to inspire you and to encourage you on a Sunday morning. That is so important. We need that, especially now more than ever. But also, we also need some practical tools of how we can live this thing out, you know? And so the message notes actually give us the opportunity to put some practical application in your hands and some inspiration, encouragement, but honestly, some practical tools in your hand on how to live this thing out Monday through Saturday. And for those who are enjoying the notes, can I get a good amen from you this morning? Let me know you're enjoying that. And so if you've never been a note taker, can I encourage you maybe to try something you've never done before? Because you might simply receive something you've never received before from God by doing that. And so I want to encourage you. So if you're joining us online today on video, there is a, a note there that says, you know, notes, or you can click it and it'll open up a format for you to follow along. If you're in the room today, I would encourage you to go to olc.church on your smartphone and uh, swipe down. You'll see a button that says message notes and get ready to jump in. I'm telling you guys, you're in for a treat today. And not only you, but uh, my, my myself as well. Um, We have a special guest today. Um, His name is Pastor Danny Schultz, and he's from Sun City Church in Spokane, Washington, everybody. And so it is an honor, and for those who don't know who Pastor Danny is, uh, he is not only a dear friend um, and a brother in Christ to me, but he is an overseer. What does that mean? It means that as a pastor, I have the privilege of being in authority as a pastor here at One Life Church, but I have overseers, men of God in my life, who I'm under their authority spiritually. And so Pastor Danny is one of those you've heard from the other two, Pastor Justin and Pastor Tripp last week. And so you're getting to hear from the third one today. And and I just want you to understand something. It means so much to me to have pastors in my life who check on me and ask me the tough questions because can I just be honest with you? Life is tough, but life is tough no matter where we are. And I'm not trying to say pastoring is any tougher than what you've got, but we're all dealing with some things and we all need men and women in our life who can encourage us in the right time and season. And Pastor Danny's always been that for me, along with his wife, Jamie, uh, who he co-pastors Sun City with, being an an encouragement to my wife, Linda. And uh, it's just so good to have people who who just check on you and be like, I'm there for you. And so, Pastor Danny, it really is an honor to have you here. And I want the church to know, uh, some of you are probably very familiar with Pastor Danny because he was here, uh, you know, 
He was a part of an incredible church in this valley for, I believe, like 10 years before you went off to plant a church in Spokane. And, and so when I had the opportunity to meet Danny before I was moving up here to a place I've never known and didn't know anybody, when I met somebody and I was like, oh my gosh, you lived in the valley for 10 years. Can I get to know your name? Can we do life? Because you probably know some people, right? And so there's a lot of people in this room today, maybe even joining us online. The reason you're at One Life Church, I mean, you love our family, but it's really because of the Shoals family. Can I just be honest? It's because of, of, of how much trust you've had in them and their family for all these years. And, and I want to say thank you for that. We're honored that you're here. But I just want you to know, it is an honor. It is a privilege. Our church would not exist today if it wasn't for men and women of God, like Danny and Jamie from Sun City, pouring into my life, our church, and into you. They're not just a guest. He's family. Can you do this? The Bible teaches us to honor people. Will you stand with me all across the room, even online? Throw your hands together. Welcome Pastor Danny Shawls from Sun City Church, Spokane, Washington. What's going on, One Life Church? Good to see you, man. I just love every opportunity I ever get to come to Idaho, Treasure Valley, and uh, preach and pray and minister and see people and just say hi. It's, it's, uh, it's such a privilege. I think about how I've prayed so many prayers for this region. I went to college uh, at NNU. I um, got married here uh, to my wife, Jamie, who just sends her greetings. She says, hey, she's holding down the fort up in Spokane today. And I was just looking at our Instagram. My, uh, we did like a kids takeover Sunday today. So they have this picture of my daughter leading worship, all these lights coming on her. I was just like crying in the front row <laughs> because of the Lord and my daughter, man. I was just like, oh. Anyway, she says, hey. My family says, hey. They just love you, miss you. And um, it's always such a privilege to come. I just feel so invested in um, all of the Treasure Valley and all that God's doing here. So I count it such a joy to be with you. It's great to see you. I also love your pastors just so much. Um, we've really grown to be so close with them uh, throughout this journey. And just, um, we'd, we'd love to be able to talk more than we do, but it's just awesome to be able to catch up when we do and love to be with you as often as we get to. And I think about you guys and pray for you all the time. I was telling First Service, um, that if you ever feel discouraged or unloved, you just need to come hang out with the Bardens. Like, you know, we're kind of here early doing sound check and getting ready. And Rhett cannot walk by people without saying like, man, I just appreciate you so much. Love you. Thank you for all you're doing. Hey, bro, you are amazing. We could have never done this without you. You, oh my goodness. Like he just just spills out this appreciation and joy and love. And so if you're ever feeling down, you just need to spend some time with your pastors. Come on now. They're some of the most loving, genuine people. I'm just so honored to get to be with you guys, be friends with you guys. Hey, can you do this? Can you give it up for some of the best pastors anywhere? These guys are the best. Pastor Rhett and Linda, you guys are awesome. And uh, you guys having the best summer ever? Best summer ever. What a great series. It's, it's, uh, it's great to be able to plug in. Jamie and I are having a great summer as a family. We are, we are having some fun and doing some great things. But I was thinking about, uh, you know, this, this has been one heck of a year. Like may, maybe the, the summer feels good. It kind of feels like we're, we're putting some further distance between us and all the chaos that we've lived through over the last 18 months. I think it's fair for us to take a second and acknowledge this has been just like 
crazy insane that we've all walked through. You know what I'm saying? I know I'm not bringing any new thought to you here today, but um, it's sometimes it's helpful in church just to name it and go like, this has been crazy. Last time I was with you was last August. We were just, you know, a few months into COVID and you know, who knew that even a year later we'd still be dealing with it and watching things in the news and talking about it and uh, still feels like maybe the future still can feel uncertain in some ways. I think it's good for us to acknowledge that we've been through a lot this last year, been through a lot of transition, been through a lot of tension, been through a lot of division, been through more than any of us could have thought. And, um, I think that the church has done well. I've been proud of our church. I've been proud of your church. Really been proud of the body of Christ. Most of the body of Christ has done amazing transitioning, adding some technology, caring for people. There are more pastoral phone calls made over this last year than probably the last decade of the body of Christ, just caring for people and loving. And uh, I've, been, I've been so impressed with so many churches doing such a good job. Um, but what I have felt in our own congregation, if we've put some distance between us and the event called COVID, that's kind of how I reference March 2020. There was the event that turned into the season that turned into like the age. You know what I mean? So as we put some distance between us and the event back then, um, sometimes you go through all of this energy and you expend this adrenaline kind of pivoting and transitioning and taking care of people and getting through stuff. And um, I, I just started to sense in our own people, even our own staff and our own college, um, just this general spirit of discouragement starting to set in. And I don't know if you've felt that at all, but there was just these times where I just felt like, man, our, our church is feeling heavy. Like we've been in this fight for a long time and it's just like, <sighs> and I had this moment where I gathered all of our staff and our residents and our college students. We have all these leadership programs. And so there's probably, I don't know, 25, 30 of us in the room. These would be, you know, people that are doing a lot in the church and carrying a lot of weight. And I just said, man, I've been feeling this in prayer. I've been hearing it in some of the language. And um, how many of you guys would just say, you feel like a, just a sense of discouragement right now in every hand of all of the staff and all the college students are like, right now. I was like, man, so if everyone's feeling discouraged, that means it isn't just you or you, or you, or you, like this is probably a spiritual assignment against our church. And maybe it's just a, a fruit of a larger battle that we've all been in nationwide. And as I've got the ability and opportunity to travel and connect some with other pastors, or just talk to people on Zoom or on the phone or text, and then like, we're all feeling this, this sense of discouragement in different areas of our life. And so I wanted to name that, and I wanted to bring a message to you that really confronts it, um, the, the sense of discouragement. Sometimes when you, if you grew up in church and you're ever going through something hard like this, uh, maybe something hard in your own life or maybe the church is struggling or whatever it is, um, if you've been in church, then you've probably heard things like this where you go, you're going through something bad and then so someone tries to encourage you and they say this, like, well, just give it to God. Yep. It's okay, brother, the Lord's in control. Just trust the Lord with it. How many of you heard those kind of phrases? Um, if you're anything like me, you can tend to struggle with that cute Christianese. I don't, I don't know if you feel this way, but like people say those kind of catchphrase, Christiany phrases to me. And inside, I, like outside, I'm smiling, like, thank you so much for your encouragement. Inside, I'm having all these questions in my mind, and they go like this. Okay, so 
if I give it to God, what's he going to do with it? Like, like, I know God's in control, um, but are you sure he doesn't want me to do something with it? Because, yes, God's in control, but he's also given me a degree of responsibility here in my life and here in the world and all kinds of things I'm responsible for. So how does that work? And one of the things that's been so fascinating uh, for me this year is I've just been reading through the Bible is I've been noticing God and his people, the interaction that they have together through the battles of the Old Testament. And it's just been jumping out at me this year. I've been thinking about it a lot. And if you look at the way that God interacted with these, these battles, like the, the Old Testament's filled with all these battles and nations. And um, on the first layer, if you study the great battles of the Old Testament, the first layer, you can clearly say the battle belongs to God, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Like we, we say that in church, right? The battle is the Lord's. And it's because it's true on, on, on the very surface level of it, absolutely. Ultimately, God is in control of everything and, you know, um, everything's gonna be fine. God's got the victory. Like he's sovereignly in control and nothing escapes his attention and all of his plans, right? So we can rest sure in that he's in control. But you dig down another layer underneath that and you realize that for most of the battles that you see in scripture, God won the victory through his people. So sure, there are some examples where God sometimes won the victory because he just like rained fire down on people from heaven or threw rocks at people or whatever. Like there's times where he just kind of does it himself. But like 95 plus percent of the time when you see victory in scripture, it's because the people of God obeyed the voice of God, stepped out and did something in response to his prompting. And through the people of God, then God won the victory. That's what we see again and again. So then you're kind of back to this question, okay, well, is it God's battle or is it our battle? How does this work? Because then if you dig down another layer and you read things like Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, where it says that God is the author and the finisher of our faith, you have to acknowledge that the only reason I even had the faith to obey God is because he wrote my faith and gave it to me in the first place. So it's like the battle's God's, but the battle's mine, but the battle's really God's. Started with him, ends with him, all surrounds him. And it kind of, for me, in my way that I think, I get frustrated with these things. I'm like, which is it? God is, are you just going to take care of it? And I should just get to kick back and drink lemonade and do nothing? Or I got to do something? Is this your battle or is this my battle? And if I win the battle, then you should get all the glory. That makes sense. But if I lose the battle, is it my fault? struggle with this stuff? It's like, how, like what's, what's the deal? If I win the battle, then you get the glory. If I lose the battle, it's my fault. This seems like, this is like, you got the better end of this deal, God. How does this work? Who does the battle belong to? And here's, here's what I felt to come and just drop into your heart, help you understand how these work together. You can write this down if you're taking notes. The battle belongs to the Lord, but you're in it. The battle belongs to the Lord, absolutely. 
starts and ends with him. The only reason that you can even be in it at all is because of him. He holds the very breath in your lungs, gives you every single day of your life. It's a gift from him. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's, it's his victory, but you're in it. Here's another way to think about it. God is fighting for you, but he's not fighting without you. God is fighting for you, but he's not fighting without you. Do you ever have a, a you know, an ex, uh, experience in life where you tried to get God to do the fighting without you? You ever experienced anything like that? I remember my first time really trying to get God to do the fighting without me. I was in college here in Nampa, Idaho at NNU. And uh, I, I liked college, but I much preferred my friend circles and the times that I would hang out with, with all my friends. I would prefer to focus on prayer and all night worship things or maybe some cute girls or whatever. Like I was distracted with lots of other things other than my studies. Can I get a witness? And so one time I took a, a computer science class and I had stayed up all night trying to do something spiritual or whatever. I didn't study at all. And I showed up and I remember I prayed this prayer before I went to the test. I said, Lord, I know you love me. And I know that you saw how spiritual I was being last night as we did that worship night. So right now by divine revelation, I pray that you would give me the answers to this Scantron test in the name of Jesus. Okay. Word of knowledge, come to me right now. A, B, A, C, D. And I tried to fill it out. You want to know what letter grade I got on that test? Come on, somebody. You know the answer. That's an F. Principal Rod, he knows. That doesn't work in the long run, right? It's like, it's like that's a battle that I'm trying to get God to fight without me. And God will get into the battle, but not without me. I got my part of the battle. There's some studying that has to do. You ever face these in your life? Like maybe for you, you're praying for God's provision in your life, but what really needs to happen is you need to get yourself a budget. Hello, somebody. It's like, it's like, God, I need you. Would you come through and provide for all of my needs? Lord, you see what I need. And God's like, I already did come through. You just spent it on yourself. I provided for what you needed, but you ate it all. Oh, that's like when you're, 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 you're wanting him to fight the battle that's really yours to fight. You got to go into it with God. It's kind of like asking God to get you connected in a friendly church, but never getting involved in a small group. Come on now. Hey, right? Like I'll just walk in there and I'll just, I'll just sit. And if God wants it to happen, someone friendly will come up and talk to me and we'll be best friends. And I know we'll be sitting in rows all facing one direction, but somehow through the sovereignty of God, we'll create great deep relationships. Can I just tell you that this environment where we sit in rows all facing this direction is not the best environment to make friends and connections? It's just not. You're going to hear from me. I might have some important things to say, but if you want to hear from each other, you got to move out of rows and get into some circles. Get connected in a small group. Get onto a team. Make some friends. Connect with some people. That's what church is all about. And if we approach church just thinking like, hey, God's going to do it. I'm going to just, if this is a friendly church, it'll happen on Sunday morning. We're kidding ourselves. God would invite you into the battle. And he's happy to fight for you, but he's not going to fight without you. Can I get an amen? So we see this in scripture. And, and I want to just talk to you about one of the most famous battles we see in scripture. The battle belongs to the Lord, but you're in it. He's not going without you. 
as you engage in the battle, God's going with you to give you the victory. And here's a question I wanna ask before we get into the scripture here today is what do you do when the battle just seems too big? You ever find yourself in this moment? Like the, the battle in front of me is way bigger than I think I can handle. Maybe it's a personal challenge that you're facing. You might be facing something right now that feels like this. Or you might be able to look back in your life. As I remember, remember facing a challenge that was so huge. Maybe a massive project at work. Your boss dropped it on you and you just, this just seems too big. Maybe it's a broken relationship and you have no idea how God could bring that back together. Maybe, maybe the doctor's report came and there was a diagnosis that just seems so huge and you didn't know how you could possibly fight this fight. Maybe a, a moment where you realized just how much debt you were actually in and you didn't know if there was gonna be any way out. And if you found yourself in a moment like that, and I would in, uh, endeavor to say we, we all have from time to time, then you would have experienced an emotion that's common to us all. When you face a battle that seems a whole lot bigger than you, this is the emotion we all face. It's called overwhelm. Yeah. You ever feel overwhelmed? Like the fight is so big, I don't even know what to do. That's so huge. I'm so small. I don't even know if I can handle this. I don't know if I'm up for the task. And really, I think that's where America finds herself right now on the other side of this pandemic. The conversation in America right now is how do we rebuild? How do we rebuild the economy? How do we rebuild our unity? How do we rebuild our, our systems? What are we gonna do? And there's, there's so many emotions. And what's frustrating, there's so many opinions. Everybody, can I, right? Like everybody thinks they know. Everyone's an expert on everything. You can't trust anyone anymore because you don't know. It just seems like everyone's lying. Like there's just so much tension in the air. And I was listening to a political expert talk. He's talking about the political climate of our nation really is different than it's ever been. It's more divided than it's ever been. We've been through seasons in the past where there has been polarization, but we're at this point now where really there's about 10% of the population who would be as extreme left-wing as you could get. And they're so angry at another 10% of the population who are as extreme right-wing as you can get. And these two groups of people, the 10% on the left, the 10% of the right, they are so angry at each other that they're just volleying these messages of hate and discord back and forth and blaming each other and framing everything. It's so disillusioning. And there's 80% of America looking to the left and to the right going, we are so done with you guys. Like I am exhausted. And what's fascinating is the 80% in the middle actually have the majority to make common sense decisions and move the nation forward, but they're so tired of the fight from the extreme right and the extreme left that they're just overwhelmed and ready to check out. This is what the political expert was saying. And I just thought like, man, this is so where our nation's at. There's this sense of this is impossible. That guy's too mean. That guy's too mean. They're too far to the right, too far to the left. I don't even know how to go forward. I'm overwhelmed. I'm checking out. I'm gonna double my Netflix subscription. <laughs> Buy myself some new yoga pants. Come on, like we're gonna, we're gonna just cave in, retreat inside, turn off the news, let them figure it out. We're overwhelmed because the problem is so big. And when the problem is big in your life, 
what most people do is they do that. They get overwhelmed and they just kind of do nothing. And there's this sense like there's no path to victory. I don't think I can win. Better not even to engage in the battle at all. But what you'll find is the people of God found themselves in these kind of scenarios all the time. So if you find yourself in the midst of a battle here today, this message is for you. And if you find yourself in a peacetime, that just means a battle's coming. So you might want to take some notes. (laughs) Giving you a little wisdom. The nation of Israel, they found themselves in this kind of a predicament um, in one of the most famous battles of all of history, 1 Samuel chapter 17 records the story of a famous battle against a nation called the Philistines. And the picture is that there's this, this uh, valley with a mountain on one side and a mountain on the other. And you see the children of Israel on one side, the nation here, uh, the people of God, and then the Philistine nation on the other side with the valley in between them. And the Bible says that the Philistines one day, they sent out a champion. And this champion's name was Goliath. Now, if you are pregnant here today, might you just consider the name Goliath for your next son? (laughs) If you want him to grow up to be a basketball player, maybe a a WWE wrestler, (laughs) Goliath would be a good name. Just consider that. Write that down in case that's a God thought for you. I don't know. Um, Goliath, like he is one of the most intense characters of the Bible. Uh, The Bible scholars would tell you that he was somewhere between nine and 10 feet tall, um, had the most incredible armor in all of the land, so thick and protective. He had these huge weapons that were just unheard of. He was just the mammoth of the man, the mighty champion. And he issues this challenge. He gets out in front of Israel. This is what he says in verse eight. Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel to this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. This is always the agenda of the enemy. He's always coming to try to bring uh, the people of God into bondage and slavery. And so he puts out this challenge and begins to defy the the children of Israel, defy the people of God, and this is how he works. One of the primary tactics of the enemy in our life is always intimidation. Tries to come and shout and taunt and intimidate so that we wouldn't even enter into the battle. We would just automatically presume defeat. In this case, it worked. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, now notice this. Goliath, this massive champion, is in front of them. His name, I, I looked it up this year just based on some of the things the Lord is speaking to me. The name Goliath in the Hebrew originally means to uncover or it means to reveal. He's the great revealer. And what that teaches us is it's oftentimes the large battles that we face in life that reveal the true substance of our character. All of a sudden, what was really there gets unveiled when we get into the true battle that God's called us to. And it was one of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart early on in COVID. Back in in March 2020, I felt like, man, this Goliath called COVID was going to reveal the true substance and character of the church. And man, have we ever seen that to be true? I don't know what it's been for you guys down here in southern Idaho, but for us up in northern Washington, eastern Washington, people that I thought 
were in one place. All of a sudden, COVID comes, and it turns out that a whole bunch of stuff is revealed, and they're in a totally different place. People that I thought I could count on in this way, turns out I couldn't count on. People thought that I didn't even know where they were. All of a sudden, their, their true courage was revealed. Like, COVID has been an incredible revelation, a great revealer of the character of the people of God. Here's a thought for you in this whole, this whole battle that maybe you, you hadn't considered. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. It wasn't actually supposed to be David who showed up to fight Goliath. Now, if you're, you're a church person, you've probably heard the story of David Goliath a lot. Maybe you heard preaching on or maybe you grew up in it in kids' ministry or something like that. Even if you're not a church person, you're just new here to church trying to check it out, what's this all about? You know about the story of David and Goliath. In fact, those names go together. You never hear the name Goliath without David. Um, in the end of the story, David slays Goliath. What I want to propose to you is that it wasn't really David's assignment. This fight wasn't David's fight. You want to know whose fight it was? This was King Saul's fight. It was, according to the laws of Israel, it was the king's responsibility to go out in front of the army and be the champion and lead the people of God into battle. That was the king's responsibility. If you back up several chapters to 1 Samuel chapter 9, they talk about Saul and they describe Saul as head and shoulders taller than everybody else in all of Israel. So if there was a champion that was supposed to size up against this other champion, it was King Saul. He was the tall guy. He matched up evenly. In fact, King Saul had the best armor and the best weapons of all of the people in Israel. That's why when David shows up, Saul does what? He takes off this great armor and he tries to make David wear it because he had the best stuff. He's like, you're gonna go into this fight? You better wear this best armor. It didn't work for David. But it all points to the fact that the person that was supposed to fight the champion of the Philistines, his name was King Saul. This was his fight, yet... He's standing there paralyzed in fear. And a whole army is behind him paralyzed with that same fear. The Bible indicates that Goliath would come out twice a day in the morning and in the evening. It says he came out 40 days in a row taunting and intimidating and challenging and trash talking and defying the God of Israel. 40 days. I don't know if you've ever stopped for a second and imagined what that felt like. Like Saul and the whole army there just paralyzed in their place, listening to this champion in the army. They know who the champion's supposed to go out and do it. And they're all sitting there just like, are you going to go? Are you going to go? Day 17. It's going to happen today. Day 26. Like how awkward. 40 days paralyzed in fear, asking the question, are we going to do something? Or are we just going to stay here on this mountain and listen to this guy taunt and defy and challenge and trash talk God and his people? Makes me wonder what's been going on in my life for just way too long. What have I allowed to just stay there and taunt and challenge and exalt itself as higher and more powerful than the God that lives inside of me? 
Perhaps there's something going on in your life like that that keeps you stuck, something that keeps taunting you, that thing that you know it's supposed to bow its knee and give glory to God, but you just don't know if you have what it takes to beat it. Here's, here's my suggestion. You need to name your Goliath if you're going to enter into battle with it and take it down. It's got to start with you going, this is what it is. Because sometimes we go through life with no clarity around that and it's just this kind of this emotion deep down and we're so busy with work and home and shows and social media and all the stuff. Like we fill our life up that we don't take time to just slow down and think what is the thing that is keeping me from all that God's called me to do in this season? You know what the best summer ever for you would be? It wouldn't be the, the best summer vacations and the best summer hangouts and the best bonfires in the backyard. What would make this the best summer ever if you slayed the Goliath in your life this year? Like, you'd look back on 2021 and you would be like, best ever. You'd say it was hard, it was difficult, took some effort, but I slayed it and my life will never be the same. Come on, that'd be the best. So what's the Goliath in your life that just keeps taunting you? Is it insecurity? Is it some addiction that you don't really want to call an addiction, but it just keeps showing up and showing up and showing up? Is it anxiety? Is it bad habits? Is it letting the past rule your present? Is it your obsessive desire for control? I don't know what it is, but I know for all of us, if we don't name it, we're never going to be able to take it down. So you got to make a choice. I'm naming my Goliath. And 40 days into the taunting of Goliath, 40 days into the cycle, in walks David. And again, David is not there to fight. He's not a part of the army. His brothers are in the army, and he's just rolling up with provision. He's here to bring some lunch to the brothers and kind of check it out and give the report back to dad. And he's there. He's delivering the supplies. And he hears Goliath, the great revealer, revealing all of the cowardice in the heart of the king and the whole army. But this battle is about to reveal the courage that's been resident in David the whole time. David starts asking around. He's like, are we just going to let this guy talk like this? Are we all just honestly going to sit here and put up with this? What's the plan? Who's going to take this guy down? Notice, notice what happens in verse 28. He, he runs into some resistance. You can, you can be sure this is waiting for you. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left, notice this, those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. So often when we're getting ready to step into the battle, we face resistance. Here's three things that try to keep us from the battle that we see right here in this verse. Number one, sometimes we face dishonor by those closest to us. Like I'm, I'm wanting to step out and live differently than I have before, but the people closest to me, they're speaking in ways that just seem negative and discouraging and hopeless, and they just don't think I can. Sometimes I don't care if the rest of the world is against me, but if my wife Jamie is for me, I can take on anything. I tell our team all of this all the time. We've got eight leaders that really set the vision and direction for the church. I'm like, if nobody else is with us, if the eight of us are unified and together, my heart is full of courage. We can do this. Like there's something about those that sit closest to you that have a disproportional influence into the courage of your heart. 
And sometimes when it's family, longtime friends, if they say discouraging things, it can try to discourage you right out of what God's called you into. Here's what I want you to notice. Jesus himself was rejected by his own family. Jesus in his ministry, he gets up and starts to teach. His mother and brothers come up. He's losing his mind. Somebody get his attention. We got to get him out of this place. Shows up to his hometown, Nazareth, trying to do some miracles. He said there's no honor in that place for this prophet. He could only do a few little healings because of how they, they dishonored him in his hometown. So much so that Jesus moved his ministry base away from his family to a different town called Capernaum. And he started a new spiritual family with Peter and his whole household. Jesus was rejected by his family. So if you face rejection from people that are close to you, it just puts you in good company with David and with Jesus. Every great leader faces rejection. Number two, those that belittle our current assignment. David's brother Eliab didn't have to phrase it up the way that he did. He could have said, hey, what are you doing here? Hey, thanks for the lunch. That would have been nice. Notice what he says. He could have even said, why'd you leave the sheep? But he says it this way. Oh, you just left those few sheep out in the wilderness. You left those sheep, and there wasn't even very many sheep, just a few sheep. <laughs> and people do this with us all the time. They're just trying to belittle what we're doing. Why are you spending so much time volunteering? Why are you, why are you wasting your time with that person? You're just going to keep doing that same thing again and again. and again. It's not even a very important sound. Don't you think there's more important things for you to do with your life? And they try to belittle the assignment of God in our life. Here's the third one is having our confidence mistaken for pride. That's what Eliab does. Who do you think you are? You think you're so great. You think you're some mighty warrior. You're here, you know, pretending to be some big shot like you're gonna take down the champion. And I love David's response in verse 29. David says, what up now? What have I done now? Is there not a cause is there not something worth fighting for in this moment? Makes me wonder if I have something that I'm pursuing in my life that's worth being misunderstood over. Is there something resonant in me that even if people misunderstand it, even if people are confused and they don't get it and say negative things and get, get all, you know, questiony about my calling in my life, are there things that are worth pursuing because God's put the assignment over my life? If that's the case and other people think you're crazy, it just puts you in the right company along with Jesus and David and great leaders throughout scripture. David heads right up to Saul. He faces this pushback from his family. He heads right up to Saul. He says, I got this. You let me take down that blaspheming nasty beast. I got it. Here's what Saul says back to David. Verse 33, Saul says to David, you are not able. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Here's another excuse. You're just too young. You're just, you're just too inexperienced. You need to wait your turn. What if you lose? I mean, look at him and look at you. He's like this. You're like this. He's a champion. You're nothing. And this was Saul's critical error. He thought the battle belonged to David. He thought the battle would have rested on his shoulders. And this is the most critical error that we make in our battles. We look at the battle and we measure ourselves against the enemy. Am I smart enough to finish college? Do I have what it takes to go out for that promotion or not? Am I qualified? Am I actually gonna be able to leave in ministry? 
Everyone's asking around me, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? I want you to notice David's response is totally different from Saul's. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I love this, I caught it by its beard and I struck it and killed it. I've always wondered what it felt like to grab a bear beard. Come on now. A cod sounds like something we do in southern Idaho, right? Go hunt down a bear, catch it by the beard, and slay it. Let's go. Caught it by its beard, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Notice this last part. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So notice, who did the delivering in the past? It was the Lord. Who's gonna do the delivering next time? It's the Lord. Who does the battle belong to? The battle belongs to the Lord. And this is what's so important that you see. As long as Saul... And all of the rest of the folks refused to enter into the battle. God wasn't in the battle either. As long as all of them were on the sideline shaking with their cowardice, God's on the sideline waiting with them. But as soon as somebody steps up and go, is there not a cause? I'm going to get in the battle. God's done it in the past. God's faithful to do it again. I'm going to enter in. Guess who goes into the battle with David? God enters in. So, So the battle belongs to the Lord. Come on. But you're in it. God is fighting for you, but he's not fighting without you. God is waiting for you to enter in to his preordained fight for your life. And maybe you're in a a situation right now where you're feeling that. Maybe you're sensing that discouragement that I was talking about at the beginning of the message and it's like, I am feeling that so much right now. You have a choice to make. Am I willing to step out, pick up the weapons that God has given me and get into the battle? Because as soon as you do, God goes with you into the battle and victory is assured. It's when we stay on the sidelines and we're not really sure and we just try to protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe that God's sitting there going, are we gonna go into this thing or not? As soon as you decide, I'm fighting this addiction, I'm fighting this depression, I'm fighting this health challenge, I'm fighting this thing that's been a part of my family for generations. It's not just you in the battle any longer. Now it's God's battle. And the same giant killer that lived inside of David, come on, he lives in you. Same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. He's gonna quicken you, quicken your body, quicken your life. David's declaration as he enters into the battlefield to slay Goliath with some, a sling and some stones, it's some of the best trash talking in all of the Bible. Like if you like trash talking, this is, your, this is your chapter, man. This is awesome. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcasses. Man, when you use the word carcasses, 
That's some trash talk. Modern translation, I'm gonna hand you your butt. You're gonna wear it as a hat. That's what he's saying there in the moment. I'm gonna feed it to the birds of the field and the wild beasts. Like I will, God, and all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. And all of the assemblies shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. You see the interplay. The battle's the Lord's, but he's gonna give you into our hands. He's with you in the battle. The story ends up with David slinging that sling and throwing that stone. He knocks out Goliath and he cuts off his head. That's the part that we don't typically tell in kids' church, you know what I mean? Cuts his head off and all of Israel rises up and they rout the Philistine army and a great victory is won. Today, I felt like the Lord asked me to be here with you and ask you the question, what's that Goliath in your life? What's the Goliath that's taunting, challenging, defying, and it's waiting for you to just decide there's a cause that's worth it? You're going to jump into the fray, and God is waiting to get into that fight with you. Some of us, we're waiting for God to win a victory, and he's just waiting on us to get into the battle. And I want to do one thing before we we close. I I just, I really felt stirred to pray this prayer with you. Will you just bow your heads and close your eyes here today? If you're here and you've, in your life, over this last season, you've been facing that discouragement that I talked about at the beginning of the message. You, You just say, man, just things feel heavy. Like there's stuff going on in my life, but this just feels deeper than normal and I've tried to pray and I've talked about it but it's like man this this thing feels like an assignment it feels spiritual and you just found yourself feeling deeply discouraged and some of you are even asking the question should I go on should I give up should I call it quits my marriage my job my ministry dreams you've been battling a battle of discouragement, will you just lift your hand right now? That's me. No one looking around. We're going to pray a prayer of freedom. I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand high. It's good. There's lots of us. Come on. Your honesty sets you up for the power of God to move in your life. Just put your hands down. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, even as an overseer here at One Life Church, I take authority over that assignment of discouragement over the people of God. I declare freedom over your people now in the name of Jesus. But thank you for your God assignments. Thank you for your calling. Thank you for the relationships and the prosperity. And Lord, that which you assign to your people. Lord, right now, I, I just rebuke the lie of the enemy that would try to discourage and dissuade and distract the people of God. Lord, would you come and bring faith and hope and life and courage into the hearts of your people. Lord, that which has seemed impossible up until now. Lord, today, Lord, there would be a new hope arising up and all of a sudden it would seem possible. But we pray, Father, for that 
demonic assignment to lift in the name of Jesus. And Lord, that there would be a sense of hope and freedom and courage to get into the battle for you're with us in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, Lord, that you would come and you would remove that dark cloud of discouragement off your people today in Jesus' powerful name. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you would just say, Pastor Danny, I want to be in the battle and I want God to go with me, but I'm just not sure that he is. I really haven't been close to God. Maybe you're, you're newer to church and Christianity and maybe you've never made a decision to make Jesus Lord of your life and follow him. Or maybe you have in the past, but it just seems like there's a gap. There's a distance and you just, you don't know if you're close to God like you should be, but today you want to be. Today you're like, Jesus, I need you to be so close. I need you to be Lord. I want you in my life. I'm tired of fighting this battle by myself. Jesus, I need you. If you're here and you're, you want to pray that kind of prayer, Jesus, I want you to be Lord. I'm going to lead us in a prayer here in just about 20 seconds. And If that's you, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a while, you're just like, Jesus, I need you to be Lord over my life. I want to, I want to receive you as Lord. And I want you to go with me into my life. If, if that's you, you're just ready to pray that prayer today. Can you just lift your hand when I count to three? One, two, three. Come on, lift it up in this place. Amen. Brother Scott's so good. So proud of you. Anybody else? That's me. Anybody online? Just indicate that in the chat box. The team would love to pray with you. Let's put our hands down. Let's pray this prayer all together. Let's mean this with everything inside of us. I believe God wants to do a miracle in your life. Pray this. Father God, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus, who came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for my sin. And right now, I confess all of my sin before you. I ask you to wash me clean and make me new in you. God, I give you my life. I make you my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could live a life that pleases you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hey, can we just celebrate with those that made that decision today? Come on, we are so proud of you.